I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. I'm Sean McGarry, and my question is, why do I get called for jury duty so often? Sean, you feel like you get called in Baltimore more often than other places around the country? It's the only place I've ever been called into for jury duty, so so yeah. I've been called into jury duty every year for four years in a row since I bought my house. I, I was a resident of Atlanta, Georgia for four years and never served jury duty once. just seems like maybe there's another way to kind of rethink this jury duty system. This is a fascinating question. I suspect you are not alone in this puzzlement. Uh, we're going to see what we can figure out for you. Awesome. I'm really excited. Well, Sean is not imagining things. This is Baltimore Banner reporter Hallie Miller rolling with me again this episode. Hallie, you've been digging into the data and talking with folks at the Maryland Judiciary System. What is going on here? What we're looking at is a numbers game. Right now, Baltimore has about 250,000 potential jurors, and that's less than half of the city's total population. Why is that number so low? For starters, you have to be over 18. You have to be a U.S. citizen. And you have to speak, write, and understand English. You can't have been convicted of a crime in federal or state court that resulted in imprisonment for more than one year. And you can't have a charge pending that could result in a year's imprisonment or more. And then on top of that, you have to be actually registered as a juror somehow in the court system. Yeah, and you're only in the court's database through either voter registration or motor vehicle registration. Plus, you have to have an address where the system can actually mail you one of those summons letters. And then there are the exemptions. Oh, yes. Adults 70 and older can claim a jury exemption. So can elected federal legislators. And so can active duty armed forces members. And so that all combined is what shrinks the jury pool down to less than half the city's population, which we should mention is a population that's been shrinking consistently since like 2010. Right. Plus, the court system has to factor in that more than a third of qualified jurors aren't even going to show up when they get the summons. Yeah, so they have to call lots more people than they actually need on any given day. Exactly. Baltimore City Circuit Court summons about 1,000 jurors a day. So if you're currently eligible for jury duty in Baltimore, you're going to be getting that letter in the mail almost once a year. If they can find you. If they can find you. About 8% of summons get returned as undeliverable. All right, Hallie, I'm going to introduce another voice into this story right now. This is a voice you will most certainly recognize. Umar Alston, and I've lived in Baltimore uh, for all my life, 57 years. I love Umar. (laughs) Umar Alston is a colleague of mine. He works just down the hall from me. He's the executive assistant to the editor-in-chief at The Banner, Kimi Yoshino. Umar is a wonderful guy, Hallie, I agree, but he is also a scofflaw. Umar, you are one of those scoundrels who bailed on jury duty at one point, and it caught up to you. Yeah, I did. Um, Had it on my calendar and everything, but I just forgot to go on the day of my summons. It turns out Umar has skipped out on jury duty more than once. We're not going to say how many times, but it finally caught up with him. This time that I failed, I actually received a piece of mail from the Baltimore City Circuit Court uh, stating that I had to give them a call or else I would be, I would get a uh, failure to appear for court. So you got that note and you did show up for the next time you were due for jury duty. I got, I got, I got the letter. I was, I, was, I was scared because I didn't want to get stopped by the police and get arrested. So I immediately called and uh, I showed up and uh, it was a long, arduous day in process. 
Umar got picked for a jury that day. He was put in the juror's box. It was going to be a three-day trial, but then he got struck from the jury last minute with no explanation why. He says he was confused, but he was relieved. I was happy to get dismissed from the juror box because I didn't want to be selected to begin with. I was hoping and praying that I did not, and I don't know what they look at. I don't know what their process is for, you know, determining a juror's, you know, selection to go into the juror box, but... I tried to look a certain way. I tried. <laughs> it just didn't work. And they selected me. But I was happy to, to have gotten dismissed. I do feel like I should say, while I'm publicly besmirching our friend's character, that Umar did, in fact, do his civic duty in a major way as a juror on a trial back in the 1990s. Hallie, you know how long that trial lasted? No, how long? Six months. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that might put his jury duty phobia in some perspective. And he's definitely not alone in that. I think for most people, they're not eager to do it. This is Brian Bornstein. He's a research psychologist at Duke University, and he helped write a book called The Jury Under Fire. Bornstein says people instinctually dread jury duty. You know, you have to take time away from your job, your family, your child care, whatever it happens to be. You're not compensated very well. It's confusing. It can be stressful in certain sorts of cases. You don't know how long it's going to last. You know, all, all those things, I think, lead people not to be excited about it. Definitely even less excited if you work for a job that doesn't pay you while you're on jury duty or if you have to pay for child care. The compensation for jurors in Baltimore right now is $30 a day. That may cover parking and lunch, but for a lot of jurors, every hour they're in that big room, they're losing money. Which brings us to some what-if questions, right? Like, what if courts could pay non-compensated employees a full day's wage when they do jury duty? Or what if there was on-site child care at jury duty? Mr. Bornstein says those are great questions, but none of those things are likely to happen for one simple reason. Courts don't have much extra money lying around, usually. When you're in the jury duty waiting room in Baltimore, you're lucky to find a power outlet to charge your phone, let alone a daycare center. One thing the city could do, though, is think about expanding that pool of eligible jurors. We really have to re-examine the qualifications that are required. This is Nancy Martyr. She's a professor of law at Chicago Kent College of Law at the Illinois Institute of Technology. The criminal record one is a really interesting disqualification and being challenged now by academics and others. The state of Maine, for example, does not have it as a disqualification. And the empirical work that's been done shows that no, convicted felons do not favor the criminal defendant more. They're not anti-government more. So I think we work from a lot of preconceptions that are not necessarily borne out. I mean, you might want some basic qualifications, but even the most basic one, like speaking English, uh, New Mexico does not have that. You can also speak Spanish. Professor Martyr says the city could also work on expanding its pool of potential jurors. If your database is just voter and motor registrations, you're missing out on anyone who doesn't vote or doesn't have a car. But if you use multiple lists, like tax or you know, state ID, you know, if you expand that pool, uh, then you can have a lot more people serving. We can also do a better job teaching kids about the gravity and the importance of serving on a jury. 
Professor Martyr says this kind of practical civic education is being taught less and less in high schools. But students, when they get the chance to do like a mock jury, they usually like it. Uh, we do it every year as a for first-year law students coming in. It's usually something that generates a great deal of enthusiasm, and I think if we started earlier, that would help. That's a solution that may bring down that pesky 30% no-show rate for jurors, which means fewer jurors would have to be called overall on any given day. And Mr. Bornstein says it might also improve the quality of the verdicts that are being rendered. If jurors do not understand the instructions well, then they're more likely to reach a verdict that is contrary to law. And we, we, we've seen that in a, in a number of cases. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Coming up, jury service may seem like a nuisance when you're sitting around watching the clock and nothing is happening, but the game changes once you get picked to sit in that juror's box. And we're going to hear from some former jurors about what it's like when someone else's fate is in your hands. Plus, how did trial by jury become a thing in the first place? More in a moment. My name is Diana Farmer. I have lived in Baltimore since 2012. My name is Tamar Sarnoff. I've lived in Baltimore since 2009. We caught up with these two jurors, Diana and Tamar, on a recent Friday. They had gotten impaneled on a jury that day. Uh, They were on their lunch break when we met them, Hallie, and uh, they seemed pretty zen about the whole thing, yeah? Yeah, it was a Friday. The judge told them the trial would probably be done at the end of the day. And they both work salary jobs, so they weren't losing money on jury duty. And Tamar, in particular, was feeling really kind of inspired about the whole thing. I think it's so important. Yes, you know, like you have to take time out of your day. But we live in a democracy. We live in a city. We're dependent on one another to make our community the best it can be. And if this is something I can do to ensure the safety and the justice in my community, I'm happy to take the time to do it. I'm also in a position where I'm not self-employed, I'm not losing work, I'm not detrimental to my income stream. Tamar's fellow juror, Diana, was maybe a bit less enthusiastic about the whole thing. I don't really enjoy it at all. I think it's kind of crazy that we decide the fate of somebody. And most of the time you're, in my experience, not presented with any really hard evidence. And you're kind of just left to decide who's credible. And you've only just met them. Jurors uphold and protect one of our most basic rights, a fair trial by a fair jury. Join me now for a quick look at how your jury service will work. Now this is the video they show you at the beginning of the day when you're on jury duty in Baltimore. It's a nice man in a suit. He strolls through the halls of the courthouse and explains that next to exercising our right to vote, Serving on a jury is the most significant way we can participate in our government. When we serve as jurors, we ensure that justice is delivered for the people, by the people. But it wasn't always that way. Trial by jury was a newfangled idea back in 13th century England. Prior to having juries, they were doing things like trial by ordeal or trial by combat. If you compare it to those means of settling these legal disputes, it's a pretty civilized uh, innovation as opposed to throwing someone into the water to see if they sink or float and having to fight someone in sword combat. Uh, and if you if you win, then you must have been innocent all along. It developed in England 
when you were looking for people who knew about the case, unlike nowadays where we look for people who don't know anything about the case. And so the idea was that the local community would get at the facts and the judge would get at the law. And it was the Crown liked this because it's very time-consuming and expensive to figure out what the facts are. It's less so to figure out what the law is. Plus, if you had people of the community looking at this, then they were more likely to accept the decision and not blame the judge for, you know, a bad decision. Back in those early days, the idea of a jury of your peers was a little misleading. A better description would have been a jury of white guys who owned property. Here in the U.S., Black people and women didn't get the right to serve on a jury until the late 1880s. And for federal cases, women couldn't serve on a jury until the Civil Rights Act of 1957. If you look at it that way as something that many of us have been excluded from, you know, that this is a sign that we're full citizens, uh, you'd think that people uh, would guard that right more, more carefully. When you serve on a jury, you are not just fulfilling a vital civic obligation, you are making a difference in someone else's life. That participation by each of us makes the administration of justice in our democracy and community strong. Your participation guarantees the right to a fair and impartial jury for all. Thank you for your service. Most of the people who see this instructional video are going to end up packing up their bags and walking out of the waiting room at the end of the day without being called to sit on a jury. The day will have been a minor inconvenience, but it'll be done and they'll move on with their lives. But for a few people in that big waiting room, that instructional video is going to mark the beginning of a long and intense experience. I was juror number one. You were juror number five, right? Ramsey would know better than me. <laughs> <laughs> there was a whole period of time where we did not get to know each other's names. And I, so I remember the numbers. Ramsey Mahavitz and Babalu Pili are close friends today. But they were strangers to each other on a December morning in 2019 when they both filed in for jury duty, along with several hundred fellow Baltimoreans, feeling, you know, like anyone does at jury duty, mildly annoyed and hassled and hoping the day would go uneventfully. But Ramsey and Babalu both got picked to sit on a jury. And then they heard what the case was going to be about. Everyone there felt the gravity this was a murder charge, and I was a kid. He was uh, 17, but then the victim was also a child, too. The 12 people on this jury would get to know each other well. The trial ended up taking two weeks. We would go, and we'd have to listen attentively to the facts of the case and how they were presented and go back to this big conference room, and we would all sit around. I felt like what I am experiencing is so intense and these people are experiencing it with me. And I just felt, for that reason, not quickly connected, but like within a day or two or three, I was like, yeah, that we are like a crew. What Ramsey and Bablu and those other jurors were tasked to do, it seems to me like such a high stakes and heavy thing to ask a bunch of regular people to do. It just does not seem normal to me. But it is completely normal. That's trial by jury. It seems normal, that is, until you're on a jury. Oh, reasonable doubt is the worst thing to determine. Like, what is reasonable doubt? You're, you're asking someone to make a decision and to make a measurement on someone 
at a very specific moment in time, right? What about all the events that led up to it? It's hard to put that on someone. We thought about it so carefully. And being persuaded by your peers, like I definitely moved my position, but through that process. It's just, you, you hear what you hear, and you either took notes or you didn't, and you just have to make a decision. When Ramsey and Babalu's jury went into their chamber for final deliberations, it took them two days before they could reach a unanimous verdict. The holdup was juror number one, Ramsey. I just couldn't, I could not come out with those words. And that's the responsibility of the juror number one. You have to stand up and then it's, it comes out of your mouth on this count, on this count. On, I think there were 17 counts. A fellow juror, she was like, I got this, Ramsey. It does not have to be you. I will do it. I will, I will go out there. I know that part of the holdup is that you don't want it coming out of your mouth, but we are in agreement. We feel really good about this decision. We've done our job well. I will go out there and do that. And she did it, and we held A lot of people were holding hands. And then, yeah. What was the verdict? It's still hard to say. Guilty. After the verdict was announced, Ramsey and Babalu and the rest of the jury filed out of the box, went back into their chamber, off to the side of the courtroom, and while they were gathering up their stuff, they could hear the kid getting escorted out of the court in chains. Trial by jury means something different when you're on the jury. Yeah, I think on TV, it's, it's a narrative. It's a one episode. You kind of presented everything and everything kind of fits together like puzzles. But the way it works in real life, there's, there's empty pieces and you'll never see the whole picture. And it's just a guess. Uh, just based on each individual person's uh, life experience, really. And there's no standard for that. Bablu and Ramsey are proud of the service they provided, but they are also haunted by the experience they shared. I think, you know, that's why they've stayed such close friends over the years. Yeah, we interviewed them at Ramsey's house, and I remember thinking that they definitely had a bond that's rooted in profound responsibility. Yeah. Kind of a heavy note to end the episode on, but uh, maybe worth keeping that story in mind next time uh, your jury summons shows up in the mail. Because, you know, it's just a matter of time before you get another one. Every year. Like clockwork. Thanks for being with me this episode, Hallie. Thanks, Aaron. All right, let's uh, circle back around now to our listener, Sean, who asked this week's question. Sean, now you know why you're getting called for jury duty so often. I uh, also got a little history lesson on trial by jury. We even got an inside look at what it's like for regular people who have to cope with the power and the burden of deciding a case. What are you left thinking here at the end of this episode? Um, I'm really glad you guys did this research and presented this. Um, it was really interesting to learn the scope of the, like, the databases that they're drawing the jury pool from. I have kind of considered the weight of being on a jury. I'm lucky enough to not have to have kind of experienced that myself, but um, yeah, I'd be happy to be there for my fellow Baltimore citizens and I'll, I'll make sure I show up so that I don't get one of those summons for sure. Sean, I want to thank you for an excellent question. I learned a lot this episode. I did too. 
That is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WYPR in partnership with the Baltimore Banner. Big thanks this episode to my colleague, Baltimore Banner reporter Hallie Miller. Hallie has written a great companion piece to this episode. You can find it along with all of her other excellent reporting at thebaltimorebanner.com. And uh, by the way, if you get a question of your own for the show, it is easy to be in touch. Just go to wypr.org slash curiosity. That is the website for the podcast. It's got an archive of all of our past episodes and a little interactive box where you can type in a question and put me to work. Hit us up at wypr.org slash curiosity. And uh, if you like the show and uh, enjoy what you hear on this podcast, you can always do us a favor and drop a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen on. Just a couple of lines, your words go a long way toward helping other curious listeners discover this podcast. So thank you. I appreciate you. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch. And we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture, online at thepeelcenter.org.